Hey folks, it's Mose. I just want to say I'm really happy about uh, getting to do uh, another session with you all, uh, this time Punisher Season 2. We did get a little buck wild straight off the out of the gate. Um, I can't say that it's like that for all the episodes, but this one, uh, I get a little excited and I blame myself. So uh, if the kids are in the car, uh, maybe it's not for you right now. Maybe it's for a little later. Regardless, glad you're here, glad you're listening. Let's get it started. Holy smokes, ladies and gentlemen. Is it that time? Well, it's a year after Punisher Season 2 premiered, so why wouldn't we do a show? And if I'm going to do a show about the Punisher, it's going to have a supercast of the guys that you know and love. It's, it's all of us. It's, it's the Broken Boys. It's Sean Shibley. Man, Frank's really upped his child psych game. True. Devin Higgins? Just so you know, I ain't cleaning that bathroom. <laughs> Eric Scott? So the Punisher walks into a bar. And then Jason Johnson walked in. I'm just here for the music. Perfect. And you know me. My name's Mose. And, uh... Yeah, we're going to be doing some recapping of a very old, basically a year old, uh, series because we need to. It's important. And we're going to change things up. You know, from back, oh, years ago, that we did something called a full-on Flash recap. And to start it out, Devin. Has, be, has has written out a beautiful little soliloquy that I'm going to allow him to just rip through, and then we'll get down to the uh, business at hand. Okay, this fine recap brought to you in no small part by our good friends at Wikipedia. Nice. Starts as follows. So, episode one, titled Roadhouse Blues of season two, opens with, in typical classic Punisher fashion, we are dropped in the middle of the action as a black van is ripping through a Michigan town at night. Frank is at the wheel, covered in blood, with a young woman, who we don't know yet, sitting next to him in an obvious state of bewilderment. They're cut off by two cars driven by people trying to kill them, and as we all know, Frank mows them all down. Flashback to the day before. Castle meets this young woman in a bar, and the meeting does not exactly go well. And then we find out that she is in contact with a Russian gangster trying to get rid of some, shall we say, scandalous material, potentially. Unknown to her, the gangster is tied to a chair, being interrogated by a man looking for said material. And after hanging up, he promptly kills the gangster. Castle deals with a belligerent drunk who is hitting on and insulting the bartender. Her name's Beth. We get to find out more about her and a potential opportunity for Frank. But the following night, Castle returns to the bar hoping to meet up with her and notices that other people are there and they're not there just to listen to the band either. In classic Punisher form, a fight ensues. 
And the young lady that he is interested in at behind the bar gets wounded. He carries her to a nearby truck, heads to the nearest hospital, taking the girl in tow. Castle shoots, kills more people, reaches the hospital, and Beth, the bartender, manages to get through it. Later on, as Castle and the still unnamed girl are driving away, we visit with our good old friend, Dina Madani, former special agent, who is in a hospital room with the unto foreseen until this point, Billy Russo, who is, as far as we know, comatose until she leaves. And we pan over and we see Billy Russo, his face under a mask, but his eyes become wide open. Hmm. Quite a slow burn initially, I thought, starting out. And, you know, we talked about a little bit off mic, and I want to kind of set the, set the, set the tone, if you will. Um, Frank and the Punisher are, you know, inextricably, you know, linked up. But, it seems like this was a Frank episode for at least almost three quarters of the film. You know, we got, I say film, but of the episode. But, you know, it was, it was you know, we got that little bit of a tease of, of Frank covered in blood, which we're kind of used to. But it really became a Frank episode for, and setting that kind of groundwork. It was it was actually a Pete episode there for a little bit because he was right back to the old oh, yeah. Pete identity. So yeah, it, it, I, feel it started, started... Why, I feel that's why it was so important to have that initial scene, right? Because the TV show is basically telling you, don't be fooled, right? We're going to give him a moan in peace, but he's still the Punisher and he's not going to escape that. So that you have that in the back of your mind every time you're looking at this good thing that may happen to him, you know he's already, like, that's already going to fall apart. You don't actually get a minute's peace, which I think is a, uh, a theme of the Punisher. You don't get a minute's peace. Although you do kind of hope, obviously, you want Frank to you know, have a nice, wonderful life, but then again, you know, Punisher, it's just not going to happen. Right. Right. Why, why, why you're rooting for him, know that it's going to hit the fan any minute. You already saw it anyway, but yeah. Well, and before we sat down and watched this first episode of season two, I went back and watched the very end of season one. Good. And if you remember, Frank is there in Kurt's circle, and Kurt was his old uh, war buddy in his therapy group. And remember, what he at the end of it, he had con- conceded to himself that his war is over now comes the hard part of trying to figure out what he was going to do next and that he wasn't sure about it, and it frankly scared the hell out of him. You fast forward to the beginning of season two, and you come across Frank, and he is much more Picastiglione slash Frank Castle than the Punisher, at least in the early going after we get through the, the teaser open, where he's in the bar, and he's just there to listen to the music and is just trying to figure out what he still wants to do which i think in re- in retrospect really makes this episode interesting in how we see that side of frank develop with beth the bartender do we actually get a defined timeline on where this takes place after season one is it like six months three months no a year they don't give us a straight guideline on it. No, not at all. Well, it's obviously been a little while because, given the context of the rest of the episode, no one remembers the freaking Punisher. 
but then you're also out in rural Michigan where, you know, I don't know if you watched the news or how big a deal it was in Michigan. Have you guys read V for Vendetta? Not the movie, the comic? Yep, it's on my shelf. Yeah, so the whole point, in my opinion, of the comic is if you're going to behave monstrously, you're going to end up as monsters. Gotcha. And I kind of feel this. Like, Frank isn't really a human anymore. He's been turned into a monster no matter what he wants. His fundamental nature has been changed. Well, and we see that with his interactions with Beth, right? Because as the episode moves forward, he's he actually kind of confides in her and starts trying to um, almost form that relationship. Mm-hmm. And he immediately mm-hmm. is thrust back into the violent life of the Punisher. And you just kind of see how that works. It, it, the, the life's not going to let him get out. Yeah, I mean, he's he's come a long way since... I mean, this, this even mirrors, like, season one of... of uh, Episode one, season one. For, exactly. You know, he's, Good. He's, 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 he's trying to get away from what happened with his family. You know, he's got another job. He's trying to get through it and gets pulled back in. Same with this episode. And he, he's even growing more because he's willing to open up eventually to Beth. Says, no, my name's not Pete. Frank goes kind of his whole life, you know, mini life story to, as much as he wants. But he is opening up and trying to, I guess, come to grips and move on from it. And that right, wasn't but, even very far out. That was That was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But unlike in episode one of season one, where if you remember where that whole scene with him taking the sledgehammer to the wall and just bashing it down, mm-hmm. we get a lot, I don't want to say a softer side of Frank in this one, but I liked how when you find him in that bar, he's just there and he's sipping a beer. And when he has that interaction with the drunk guy who's trying to hit on Beth, he doesn't come right out and go full Punisher. He's a lot more frank. He's wisecracking. He's just trying to be more of who he is, trying to be more of a human being, I guess. And how when Beth kind of challenges him on it and says, you know, I didn't need to be saved. He looks at her and goes, of course you didn't. But, you know. See, yeah, he's just there dick. to what listen to do? Shooter Jean- Jennings. Yeah, that was, I mean, that, also- that, yeah, that whole whole area in there, I, that's what really kind of moved me. I was like, Frank is actually trying to move on. Like, he doesn't have to always be flipping of a switch and turning on. And I thought, well, maybe more are they trying to show us that it takes a long time for Frank to turn into the Punisher. And it, and it, but it, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think he can always be the Punisher, but he actually is choosing to try to be normal. Yeah, I, well, I got the same vibe. Give a proportionate response, right? Mm-hmm. We all know he could have taken the head off that drunk. Right. Like, and he didn't. He, I mean, he beat him down a bit, but like he didn't kill him or break his neck or mangle him in any way, right? And we all know, like, an older version of Frank probably would have just torn him to shreds. And I think that's a misconception about Frank and the Punisher comic in general, is that he is not necessarily this just absolute uh, death of destruction. You know, he, he is a machine when turned on, but he is still a human being. And I, in fact, I, I would say season one explored that very well. Even the scene in the bar or the bathroom when he was, you know, trying to 
take off his belt and prepare for the fight. He was trying to talk him out of it, right? Yep. I mean, it was it was reluctance until they forced him into it. Well, and if you think and about it, way- it, by going on the idea of a machine, it's the whole notion of threat assessment, right? You know, you got a drunk guy at a bar hitting on the bartender. That's one thing. You know, like Sean said, he doesn't have to go full Punisher to take care of that situation. It's you smack the guy's head off the bar. They haul him out. Job done and dusted. Then when you get further in and he realizes when he uh, when you preceding up to the fight in the bathroom and then it spills out in the rest of the club. When you see him make the threat assessment of what is going on and then you realize, okay. Now it's time for the Punisher, and now it's time for Frank to do what Frank really does best. And by the way, what bad luck, right? You're just trying to do your job, kidnap a girl in a bar in the middle of nowhere, and then, ah, beans, Frank Castle's there, (laughs) and you're like, oh man, I guess I'm gonna get punished. And then a bar fight breaks out. Who'd have thought? Well, I would say this is... Little more than a bar fight. <laughs> well, we're not we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah, but they brought knives and guns to bar fights. At least they're up on that. Well, and also using the standard idea of well, let's bring fifteen people in to try and grab one person because you never know. You just might need that many people. Well, and I like that fight because actually Ringo acquits himself pretty well. Like, he's obviously not a special agent or anything, but he knows how to handle himself in a fight. I did like Ringo in, in how when they they have the first encounter with Frank and the guy who's hitting on Beth, and Ringo tries to step in and basically chuck both of them out, and Beth's got to be the one to be like, no, he was actually helping me out here. You know, take that piece of crap and throw him out, but... It took a second where it was like, I think if I remember at that point, Beth looks over. It's like, are you going to do anything? And he's sitting there with his over his plate of food. Like, no. Yeah. Well, and, and there's actually a shot of um, him in the background where he actually drops his fork at one point. And I thought it was pretty funny. that They actually left it in the editing because he actually literally drops the fork and has to reach over and pick it back up. Yeah, I don't think I caught that one. And, it, I, you know, the, oh, go ahead. Another telling thing is Frank wasn't going to oppose Ringo. Like, if Ringo decided to throw him out, Frank would have allowed himself to be manhandled and thrown out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was it was an interesting time because it was like, oh, man, Frank's going to find love. You know, we kind of, I mean, whether you want it or not, I mean, you kind of thought maybe Frank and Karen could get together and have some sort of normal life in a sense. I mean, I can, I can get there in a Kylo kind of way, but it can never really happen. And Beth actually seems like somebody that possibly this could be a real thing. Well, and I, I like the dynamic that they posed with each other where there wasn't anything that felt really forced. You know, he was, Frank's just there. He, like he kept telling her, you know, he said he really liked the band and he was, he was just present. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that there was no backstory that was kind of leading up to it. It was just, you have two people who are there and who are, they're both lonely and they're both trying to figure their own stuff out. And it's for that one moment, that possibility is there. Mm-hmm. And like Jason pointed out, you get that opportunity where, 
Frank recognizes that and just wants to be honest with somebody. Because again, we don't know how long after season one this was. It could have been months. It could have been a year. Who knows? But if you're having to live that way for that long, being able to have somebody that you could confide in and be honest and not say, I'm just Pika Stiglione and this is who I am and living under that facade, being able to take a breath for even five minutes, uh, granted, after you spend the night with a very attractive woman uh, and being able to, to open up that way, I thought was really cool. I thought that was an interesting part of the episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're both lonely, they're both damaged, and they're both you know getting their lives together and trying to move on with things. Nice, you know, little scene. On the well, in, what does Frank learn from this encounter? That if he takes his five minutes, someone's getting killed. Well, see, I, I would say Frank did learn that he possibly can trust somebody. Like he was on the verge, and and then once you enter Rex, which is uh, Beth's son, I mean, it, I liked that bit. Yeah, it all, and they have that yeah. little little exchange about the New York Rangers. Your team sucks. Yeah, I know. What's a good place to eat around here? I mean, he almost is ready to, like, just let go. Yeah, that. That whole sequence when he asks him about it and he says, you know, I, they got great pancakes. And, and Frank immediately just, oh, I like pancakes. I do. I re- yeah. That was, seeing, seeing John Berthold go from being the Punisher that we knew at the end of season one to being not just open and, and kind of vulnerable, but playful. Yeah, being flirtatious in a genuine way, in, in that way that you know that he was with his wife when they were first getting together before season one ever happened. That side of Frank that and we haven't seen. The... And it's so quick, but it's, I just, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Sean, what are you the thinking? Magic of the episode, even mm-hmm. though it shows you, he's going to go back to his life. You believe for just one second, he could find a new life. Yeah. Could and this be the, the Punisher series? Yeah. Yeah, the Punisher series that that Frank never becomes the Punisher. Almost, but we don't want that, obviously. But it almost could be, you know, even, you know, I I look at Barenthal and I think about The Walking Dead. I have to, you know, it's one of his other greater um, characters of Shane. You know, there's that point in that Barenthal can put out, which is even though everything is totally fucked. I can be a good guy. I really can. And if you give me a chance, I'll do it. But uh, who's our mystery girl? What's her name? Her name we find out. We don't find out what it is in this episode, but we'll find her name is Rachel. And to Sean's point, yeah, you think about where Frank is heading through the first half of this episode. And if it wasn't for her, we... uh, it's so easy for me to sit there and think, oh, well, Frank is still there. Because if we find out later in the episode, you know, that's the reason why he comes back around. You know, he's ready to move on. He knows that it's it's time for him to figure out where he's going next. But then he doesn't. And the what do we think of of his interactions early on with, with Rachel? Because 
it that's another slow boil in this. It doesn't just come right yeah. out and jump out yeah. at you and go, okay, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, when she calls him rough road and everything, he just seems like mildly amused by her. Yeah, it's it's weird to see the Punisher smile and laugh and take something off the cuff. Yeah, and I guess even though he saw her, like I guess a couple of times, once at the bar and then at the hotel, he does know there's maybe something wrong with her. He's, he's just he's concerned, like you know, are you okay? What's up? What's going on? But so I guess he is turning a new leaf in the sense that you know he wants to know what's going on. But yeah, the Punisher of last season would have not wanted to get involved. In this season, he's he's actively asking her what's what she's running from. What's mm-hmm. the problem? Mm-hmm. You see, even- I disagree with that because we always see that Frank has a very soft spot for teenage girls. See, you say that, Sean, and in this day and age, that that'll put the Punisher into a Me Too category. So let's expound that. Like, I mean, I don't mean in a creepy way. I mean, okay. like, he's overly protective of young women. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mean he has, like, any nefarious intention toward him. But, like, he was very close with his daughter. And anyone he sees his daughter mirrored in, he becomes very protective of, as we've seen with Micro's family. Right. right? Given the way he treated Micro's daughter to Micro's son, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, Frank, Frank is a good father. He's, he's a good, he, he loves kids, obviously, for both seasons here so far. Uh, but I in no way want to say like Frank was like perving on her or anything. That okay. wasn't what I'm yeah, trying yeah. to say. I'm just saying no, he's, no, I knew he's that. very protective of young women. Um, you know, we said the word micro and my, immediately my antennas went up. Now, truth and honesty, I have only watched the first five episodes of this series. So I am going to be watching fairly naked once we hit five. I'm assuming. And I've obviously, after a year, done some due diligence. I am really not okay with Micro not being here. And I don't believe he ever shows up. Just I'm just putting that out there that, you know, this is Frank kind of working solo. I'm, I'm a little upset with that. Well, and I think well, to an extent, because Micro's story had been told. Maybe, you know, yeah, you're right. I, I I think by the time we got to the end of season one, you know, we had gotten Micro's arc, his whole purpose of being in Frank's life and Frank being involved with him was was done. Um, you know, would it have been nice to have him come back in a cameo? Yeah, but would it have felt awkward unless there was a valid reason for him to come back? Even As opposed more so. to other yeah. characters from season one that we know come back in season two? I, I don't know if that really would have been the best option. Okay. And he's our one character yeah, who actually gets a, a good ending, right? I mean, everybody yeah. else is going to you know continue to be in the suck, but Micro, Micro and his family get a happy ending, at least as far as we know. Again, I've Micro, only seen the first episode. Well, Micro wasn't in it for any idealism or anything except to save his family, right? He got that. He got his deal. He took it. He left. I mean, there's no reason for him to come back. Okay. Yeah, his life's back on track, whereas Madani and and Billy are, you know, not having a good time either, apparently. Although, even though we don't have Micro in this, I, and we've already talked about Rachel to an extent, there's another character that is connected to Rachel that we get right in the first 10 minutes 
uh, and it's the other guy on the phone. When she yeah. makes the phone call talking to the gangster, and there's the other guy that's there because that gangster is being interrogated, and we don't we don't know a whole lot about him at this point, but he looks like a guy we're going to be seeing at least for the next four or five episodes, if not until <laughs> the very end. Yeah, for conversation's sake, his name is John Pilgrim. Okay. So, John Pilgrim, I know that I, I took myself, I, what I did was I did a little bit of research, just a little bit, of what was going on at the time when this came out. Because frankly, and that's not a pun, is that um, there were some things going on and there were some things said that that kind of put a dark shade over season two. And somehow this guy's involved in that. And I know that he has some sort of a religious affiliation, which for whatever reason is a problem. I don't know why, and I'm not going to put judgment on it right now. Um, but did anyone have an issue with just hearing what he was saying? Because I was getting shades of like a drunk Marlon Brando. I could not understand a word he was saying. He was soft spoken. Okay, I, I, I did have the subtitles on just for the for the rewatch. I, I did it too. Pick up on anything. It, it did give his name as Pilgrim in the subtitles, but not the episode. But, but yeah, he definitely did. So have a little soft spoken. At least the first scene where he's talking with the Russian, whatever mob guy or whatever. Okay. So the way I saw it was he's they're trying to go for the true believer, right? Like the operative in Serenity. You know what I mean? Get, expand uh, so. on that a little more. That someone, like, the most terrifying villain is the one who understands they're a monster, but in the monster of the service of a greater cause. Kind of like in Serenity, when Malcolm Reynolds asks the operative, we have to lay down and die just so you can live in your perfect world, and the operative replies, there's no place for me in my perfect world. I'm a monster. Okay. Right? The true believer who understands what they are. They're going for that in this first episode, and they don't achieve it. I feel they do eventually achieve it, but I don't feel they achieve it in this episode. No, but what I like about Pilgrim, at least from what we see in the first episode, is that he is... And while I agree with you, Mose, that, that trying to follow along with what he's saying gets a little muddy at times... I like that he is the understated side of Frank's world, whereas as we see later on, you know, when Frank goes full Punisher, he is all just big and bravado and screaming and shouting and all that stuff. Whereas Pilgrim is a, a steady pulse. Okay. Okay. Where you know where he's you just see, there and I he's methodically disagree. doing his methodically doing his thing and is able to kind of just keep his face and his emotions as blank as possible. Okay. See, I think Pilgrim's going for a more theatrical style, whereas Frank is just... Like, he's not going for any style. He is just unmitigated rage, and Pilgrim's going for more of a... Like, making a point, being a character. See, yeah, I mean, 
if and, you look at the way he presents himself, the way he dresses as as kind of like that old, you know, Wild West kind of preacher style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at it, I'm going purely by the way he presents himself personality wise, where it's, you know, he could have all the uh, all the bluster of a Tammany Hall minister just going fire and brimstone in that whole scene with the gangster. But instead, he downplays it and just goes right through his business and moves on, which makes him kind of more intriguing to me as some other baddies they could have thrown in uh, from from Punisher lore that I remember from, from earlier days. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean... We watched the first, in the first season, uh, Frank was up against his own kind, right? Like Rollins and Russo, they were all forged in the same mold as him, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even if you think back to Daredevil's... Even if you think back to Daredevil season two with Frank, when they're dealing with the Irishman. Remember how the Irishman was all big and blustery and sure. and would use uh, elaborate means to get what he wants, whereas John Pilgrim just cuts right to the chase and that's it. Yeah, I, you know the, what's curious to me without John bon, John Pilgrim this, and again I am going at it only on episode one, mm-hmm. but I don't know necessarily what he wants. Obviously, the girl has something. The what really threw me. Uh, well, first of all, that triangle choke that he gives is not even a triangle, and it's horrible. So, just I'm going to put that out there for any MMA fans uh, that will not choke a person out the way he did that. So, far better uh, fight choreography is to come. Trust yes, me. yes, that was weak. There's stronger coming. Well, and apparently either he or whoever he works for has lots of influence or, or reach since he had no clue they were in wherever they were in Michigan, you know, the, the day before. And then, you know, post bar fight, he's there with like the local, I guess, tenant of the local police force who seems to be either in on it or blackmailed or bought off or whatever. Yeah, that was that was I, I it's probably good we go into there and that we know that that happens. But I think we're basically at day two of I mean this is seriously two days of information given to us. Um second day becomes uh full on bar fight because those people that John Pilgrim somehow knows have now infiltrated the bar and are waiting for. Now this is where I think the story gets a little weird. It's like all right so it's not someone he somehow knows he sent them. He got the information day one, day two, he sent his marks out. There's okay. no ambiguity there. Just based on the phone call alone? Yep. Okay. Because yeah, during the conversation got the information from the Russian gangster. Which yeah, let's 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 nom- let's let's stop for a minute and mention the fact that the bar actually had a payphone. I may be sheltered, but can you actually find those anymore? It's hard. It's very hard. In a, in a rural Michigan t- uh, bar, bar, you might get lucky. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But she told she told the gangster where she was to come pick up the uh, stuff, and then the next day, Pilgrim's people were there. Like that's that's not a he sent them. That's pretty obvious to me. Okay. And and what do we think about Rachel as far as as her character? Because from the beginning, she's not trying to be the classic, 
damsel in distress. She's trying to take care of herself, but I think it's pretty obvious pretty early on. She understands she is way in over her skis. At the same time, Devin, though, she's like, like I'm involved in tradecraft and she's picking locks of a hotel that happened to be next to the bar, which is not unheard of. But I was like, boy, she may be young, but she knows quite a bit to pick locks and to be able to do to stay under the radar. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious. She's a grifter, like a streetwise okay. grifter, medium level con artist type person, right? Who suddenly finds herself among murderers. Yeah. Like Not she's, the- she's, yeah, she thinks she's streetwise and she is, but now she's among a whole different, a whole different class of person. Right, yeah, not not to cross comic streams, but I kind of had flashbacks to the first beginning of the first X Men movie, where you've got Wolverine in the the cage fight bar, and you've got Rogue coming in. It kind of had that same feel to me. I don't know. Holy crap! I haven't even thought about exactly. that movie. Yeah, right. But that's a good point. It's exactly. It's like you think you're smart and tough because in your world you're smart and tough, but then you get introduced to a world where. You don't know the meaning of smart and tough. Yeah, like smart and tough are like the prerequisites. That's not the yeah. final goal, right? And yeah, it could have been her, very... her little group of you know, you know, grifters or smash and grab people got in way over their heads. You know, they're all dead. She's the only one left, and now she just wants to get rid of her stuff and just get the hell away. Right, and it could have been very easy for the writers of this season to take that and kind of go down the conventional mold of once Frank realizes she's in trouble, that she goes to Frank and can confides to him what's going on and, and have that, that trope play itself out. Now, granted they're kind of working under a, a secondary trope, like Sean mentioned of somebody who thinks they know how the game works. And then somebody realize comes in and, and completely changes the rules on them. And now they're going, Oh man, we're screwed. Well, I think the thing is not that they think they know. They do know how their game works. They play a game and they're good at it. And then they just find themselves in a much more dangerous game. Did you guys watch Preacher? Uh, no, only the first season. With the comic. Yeah. First and second. Okay, there's this wonderful scene where there's this like Grandmaster type who's been foiled by the Preacher, but the Grandmaster has like all these different resources, right? And um, eventually he gets foiled one too many times, and then you get this beautiful scene where he says, I'm done playing chess, it's time to play some fucking checkers. And then it pans out and he's got all of these weapons and stuff, right? And it seems like he's used to playing a small-scale intricate game and not used to the very heavy, blunt, and final instruments used by other people. Yeah, I I would totally agree with that. And moving into it, like where it ramps up is the 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 essentially final confrontation. And when she goes out to the bathroom, this is where things get I think very interesting in the world that has been slightly constructed recently and we're seeing it in 2020 uh versus well, this is 2018. Or 2019? When did it come out? 2019. 2019. January. 2019, yeah. But um, where the use... I personally 
have take some umbrage with I don't like to see um women necessarily in acts of violence. That's that's just a personal thing for me. But if we look at the idea that's been presented to us that um women being in an authoritative and very almost dare I say masculine role, uh the Punisher gives zero quarter and in fact I'll say zero fucks that depending on who you are, what gender you are, you are a target and you are to be eliminated and pushed out outside because you are, you know, you're obviously coming at me. I'm going to come at you with full power. And I was shocked at seeing this, this fight break out. Well, let's face it. They were competent, trained, powerful people who were not holding back, right? Um, Not at all. I act. I actually think it's really interesting because we see later, right? The most powerful person in this whole mess is a woman. Yes, she's the one that survives. You know what I'm talking about. No, no, no. I'm talking about even higher. I'm talking about Madani's boss. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. She's the mastermind, the overmind, the most powerful player in this whole goddamn thing. Whoa, 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 hold the phone. Madani's boss? Yeah, I think we have jumped ahead quite a few levels here. I haven't seen that. Yep. You see it in the end of season two, or season one. Oh, okay. You mean as far as the administrator goes? Yes. Yeah, the woman who sets everything right. Okay. Yeah. You see her at the like at the end. She's the one who like comes in and waves the magic wand, and everything's okay. Right, but to Moses' point, at least as far as this episode goes, and how, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I thought once the fight in the bathroom started, and how it spills out into, uh, into the rest of the bar, I I was locked in for the the next 10 minutes 100 100 percent. it was because well and if you think back to to daredevil season two and the fight in the prison where you have that long shot of frank going through all those prisoners and just mowing them down with a shank mm-hmm. it was reminiscent of that and when he takes the and i loved how you get again that slow boil of how he takes the belt off and you see it wrapping around his arm and the ops look at him like you're out of your mind. And he knows full well, what's going to be happening because he brought a belt to a knife fight, but he's going to need it. And the, and again, most he takes no quarter on that. But Nothing. If you think about it. This is, you know, and I, and I get where you're going with that. And, and to be clear, I mean, we, we live in an age now where this is nothing uncommon. We've had women who have been in, combat positions for what 30 years now in the military sure so you you figure okay that's going to carry into uh you know clandestine ops going to carry into wet works all that stuff that's a given and how they looked at frank and were just like you are just something to move out of the way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they it was meeting with equal and opposing force yeah i and, it was just well, astonishing to me to see that level of violence and and we talk about equality of gender 
And this show, at least this first episode, I can't I can't make an argument against it because it shows that equality. Well, and if you think about it, let's let's break this down for a second because if you had had this set up where it was just all guys going after Rachel in that bathroom mm-hmm. and all guys coming in and, and infiltrating the bar. Okay. And Frank taking down just all guys. What do you think the general consensus would have been? It's, oh, this is just, a, it, it's, a, it's a total sausage factory. Mm-hmm. It's, it's commando. All, it's yeah. all for guys because this is what guys want. This is what guys like. And why make it any more one-dimensional than that? Because whoever thought that a woman could fight Frank Castle to any degree of competency? Well, we find out so, because there's not just one. There's three in that in that bathroom. Yes, they all take him on. They all give him a bit of a working over. He responds in kind as Frank does, but the ferocity is equal. It is unopposed, and it was yeah, I dug it. So let's go back to the greatest movie ever made by anyone ever. Whoa. He's the one you send to kill the fucking boogeyman. And in all those movies, who are the people who most matched him? We're talking about John Wick, just in case people didn't know. Who's the person who almost killed him in the first movie? Right, Jenkins almost did. Perkins, yeah. Oh yeah, Perkins. And, in, and then in the and second in the one... second movie, it was the... the, the it was what's her name? Ruby Rose's character. Yeah, and third movie. It was the uh, um, uh, the Arbiter. Yes, she was the and one who, also Halle Berry. Yeah, well, yeah. So, I, I mean, all violent movies are just a pale imitation of John Wick, but I kind of see that being one that's set the way. Well, I mean, you know, Frank's always been equal opportunity. I mean, if, if you're going to come at him trying to kill him, then he has no problem whatsoever come back at you and you know he didn't kill everybody in the bathroom he left the one woman alive i guess the other one was pinned to a wall i don't know whatever yeah but the other one shows up at the end so she's still around you know i find i find interesting i originally in my notes i had said something to the effect of like i thought it was going to take that frank had a longer fuse than he does but when this happens and um you know, Frank is like basically playing a drunk um, in front of the bathroom. It, you know, doing doing what Frank does. But as soon as he hears that something's going on in there, he immediately it's it's virtually instantaneously that he becomes what he is basically born to be. But I, I you know, there was a conflict in me. I felt like this was all slow burn, like he was just going to have to be pulled in. But he's always potentially ready to go. And I can't comment on this yet because it's a couple episodes until the other shoe drops on this. But there, this is not a forgotten plotline. Okay. Well, and also to your point, Mose, and I, and I'm you'll pardon me for a minute, but as I've been working this through something similar in the past couple of months that I've been working with my therapist on this. And we've been talking a lot about how uh, when you're dealing with things like threat assessments and 
if you're somebody like Frank, you know that he's got a more than a little bit of a fair share of PTSD built up. Sure. And how yes. you are you are constantly and and it's to the point where you get becomes almost subconscious where you are in that perpetual fight or flight state. Now Frank, being the Punisher, is much more tailored towards the fight side of that, where he can be in a situation like when he's standing outside the, the bathroom and is in the process of trying to figure out where he's at and what the situation is. But as soon as he hears that scream and as soon as he hears that crash, yep. it's on. And yep. it, he doesn't have to think about it. It's just balls to the wall, let's go, and that's it. And we see the consequence of that over the next 10 minutes as he mows through everybody. Yeah, and he did pick right up on when all those whoever, people came in the bar. He knew exactly what was going on. That They're there looking for somebody. Something's going to go down. And he was watching after that. Oh, yeah. Well, as soon as the woman made because the hand the impl- gesture. The implication. You know, it's I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, that's yeah. a scout how- move. Well, and even the, the bad and job dancing and blending Frank in. Been- How many times has Frank been on the rolling out end of an operation like that? How many people has he pulled out of a random location and murdered? Yeah. Yeah. Experience is a great teacher in that respect. Yeah. If you, if you watch that group come into the bar, they're, they're attempting to blend in, but especially to somebody with Frank's experience level, they're not quite right. And that kind of was... They're wolves among chief. Cheap. Yeah. So did it bother anybody else that... Beth got hit in the in the fracas that ensued because you, we saw her getting to the point where she got involved because she pulled out the 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 sawed off shotgun from under the bar and then gets clipped in the process. I I thought in one way it was very natural uh, for a I'm just going to put it down to. I'm, I'm I'm putting myself in her place. I'm a bartender, and this this is going on. It's obviously escalated. Now, what's interesting I find is that it's it's escalated not with the use of guns at first. It's all bladed weapons, and then to be put in that position and to be so unnerved, I have to load a gun, and you're I mean. And a, and a shotgun in this case is literally putting it, uh, putting two cartridges in, and that was extremely tough for her. Which carried back to me when on season one with the cortisol, and to know that you can be in such an an amplified way that the simplest tasks are absolutely difficult. That's why you should keep the shotgun loaded. Well, it's also why you should freaking train with your weapons because it's obvious she had really not. Well, but well, she's she's a part-time yeah. weekend bartender. Yeah, right. she's a bartender. <laughs> I'm not expecting her to be a spec op, but right. I mean, I think it makes perfect sense that she got clipped because she basically interjected herself into this ballroom blitz with the biggest, loudest, slowest moving thing, and then she suddenly became an attention target for everyone else and, right. and it did a good job of, of bringing the story full circle back to the chase scene at the beginning 
but giving it more emotional resonance because you're now concerned about her. Right. We didn't know thing. at the beginning that she was involved. Right. Yeah. Right. So at that at that point, you were just kind of it was an action scene, and you're you know the Punisher can take care of himself. But now there's a time uh, urgency to it because she's bleeding out in the back. Exactly. Consequences. Mm-hmm. This is why you need an M1917 behind every bar. Right. I guess my my only real gripe about that is was trying to think of, you know, the way the fight was going. And because and you could harken back to that scene at Beth's apartment where Frank is opening up to her and he's talking about how when he starts bringing people into his world, things go sideways. and. My one beef for this episode was I, I and I looked at it purely from a writing perspective of you get to the end of that fight and you know Beth could have just taken cover, not gotten clipped, and that's fine. But seeing Frank as the Punisher doing his thing and then realizing that once the fight is over, it's like, oh, this is who he actually is. And having that slight, and it didn't have, wouldn't have had to been a long moment. It could have just been a glance before he grabs Rachel, and it's like we gotta go. You know, well, it, it's probably also some kind of guilt too, because when they were together, he was saying like, you know, well, you know, my life has a lot of dangers and whatever, but you know, I won't, that won't happen to you. I won't let that happen to you. And sure enough, well, that's that's like the kiss of death right there, and then he gets shot. <laughs> yeah, you guys are forgetting one big thing, which is he left. You drove for two hours and then returned for her. And she knew that. Right. So she was expecting him to just go away. Well, he was too. And he came, he did go away, but he came back. That implies a lot. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Like, you can see why she felt a bigger connection and an order of like how things went see, up a level. See, oh, the yeah, magnitude totally. of that, I, I think if I am a storyteller and editing this, I would have liked to have seen Frank do the turnaround. That's what I didn't see. I mean, it does happen. <laughs> Yeah, because he's, he's out a while. He turns back. We, I mean, we don't literally see the car turn back, but we see him driving out, and then we see him coming back. I would have. John Barenthal is at his best when he shows and he doesn't tell, and right. that's the part that threw me slightly. There, there was the scene where he was stopped at the stoplight and then did the U-turn. Am I missing something? No, that was no. there. It I'm was. Sure. He point blank asks him, "How far out of town were you?" Yeah, he oh. said two hours. I'm. My mistake. Erase that. I might have walked and gotten a beer at the at that time. Sorry. Shame <laughs> on you. So that's a non-problem. Clearly you weren't there for the band. Yep, I wasn't. Shooter. How about that? Yeah, I was really amazed at how much he was in the episode. Um, a good bit of music in the episode. Yeah. Is there a, is there something that I'm missing? I know that Shooter's been on with Rogan a few times. Is there is there something there that we need to address, like why he would be a part of this? Uh, I'm not. I'm sure he's not going to be part of the series, but the I know, especially in the first episode of uh, season one, music played a very pivotal pivotal part 
And I'm wondering, am I, am, is there something that I'm missing in, in this history? Should I have I've got, gotten more out of it? I don't think they did anything specific to put a pin on it, Mose. I think it was, I, if anything, it was just a matter of convenience. Okay. That, because I didn't know who Shooter was until, really, I, I did a little bit more research into this episode. I didn't realize he was Waylon Jennings' kid, mm-hmm. for example. Um, I think it was just a matter of convenience that it was somebody who they didn't have to get a, I, I don't want to downplay and say, like, a big name artist to do it. Sure. But you look at Shooter and his band, and it's, that looks like your average bar band you would see in rural Michigan on a Friday night. You know, there, well, there wasn't anything overly flamboyant or overly fancy about it. It was they're just up there and they're they're playing to earn a living. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, while he's not the hugest name, you know, it, he is, uh, especially for people who know, like you say, his family and everything. He's very emblematic of an outlaw uh, cultural icon. So especially his dad, the, the group was literally the outlaws, right? That's how they were known. So it does kind of tie in with Frank's persona of an outlaw, at least as far as the legal system's concerned. Plus, I wouldn't think about it too much. They just needed an above-average good band for the bar. And I guess, you know, he had a good agent. Sh- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, they didn't, they didn't put too fine a pen on it. It was they just needed somebody that was there providing the music, and, and that was who they ended up bringing in. So but I, I will say that, yeah, the, the, having that backdrop for most of the episode, it wasn't bad. No. I, I, again, I don't discount it. I just wonder, is there something in the subtext that I missed? I don't yes, think so. Well, I think there is one big thing, right? Listen to his songs. They're all about him becoming a monster when he drinks whiskey. Oh. And so, like, when he indulges in his drug, he becomes something bad, which I think is a fairly uh, poignant example of what Frank was doing. But Frank wasn't doing it because he was drinking. He was, but there is that. He was indulging yes. in his drug. His drug is violence. Okay, okay. Now, now I think we're getting to a good thematic. Uh, portion. Okay, good. Right. So, and speaking of drinking, we should probably get towards the end of this because we still have two more people to talk about. And I, you, I, I, as soon as you talked about drinking, I knew exactly <laughs> where you were going. Go, shoot. Because was anybody, I don't know about you guys, but seeing Madani didn't surprise me. I knew they were going to have to find some way to start tying the narrative thread that's going to lead us throughout this season together. But seeing her standing there popping open a flask and taking a slug, <sighs> it took me about two seconds to realize she is not in a good way. Mm-mm. And then it, I mean, it didn't take long to figure out why either when we realized where she was. Just because your lover shoots you in the head and uh, kills your best friend. And almost ruins your career. But otherwise, yeah, day drinking, no problem. I wasn't expecting Madani, and I and I know guys, you know, like we we want to see carryover. I didn't. I thought, well, I haven't seen Micro. There's really no reason to see Madani in my mind. And then, then to have, um, I'm going to go ahead and say Jigsaw at this point, um, and. Billy Russo with a face mask was a bit weird, 
but I thought, oh, I, I'm not sure where this where this season is going to take us. Well, A, Madani is one of the best characters in the entire Netflix Marvel universe. Correct. You you are you are a hundred and one percent correct. Also, they introduced that doctor. Wait which one? Wait, what? Uh not yet. Wait, they didn't I thought they introduced Billy's doctor. Damn not you. yet. Not in the no, not in this one. Okay, I have things to say about her, but we can wait. We'll, we'll have to. Yeah. yeah, because all we get in this scene is just Madani standing over Russo's bed, and then she walks out. But not before no. she not before she denigrates him a little bit, uh, and then walks out of the room, and then we see Billy wake up. Okay, here's the thing. These are comic book TV shows, right? Stop it. I know where you're going right now, Sean. Go ahead. Where am I going? You're 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 bringing comics down to a very root point of of where people and 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 people's actions. I think no, they made a point to not show you Russo's corpse. They made a point to show you, oh, Russo's brain dead. Hopefully, he'll be in a coma forever. Okay, at the end of last season. Okay. Right? Well, well, yeah. So it's the comic trope that, that you know, the, screaming the, 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 to you. The villain never dies unless you see the body, and even then, yeah. You know. But that is screaming to you that he's not done. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, but but how it re- how it relates to you know some scandalous photos and a girl in Michigan or whatever? <laughs> right now, we don't know. No, there's a lot of loose threads we need to tie up. Now, I will say this: having seen most of the Punisher films, okay. I am much happier with the way they are interjecting Jigsaw in from where we're starting in season one than the Jigsaw we got in the Punisher War Zone. Well, Uh-oh. because as much as I love Ray Stevens, you're right. Because that version was just so over the top and so badly caricaturized anyway that. I'm much more interested to see in a in a similar way to how the uh how Jeff Loeb, the guy who's been behind all the Marvel Netflix stuff, what they did with Kingpin. They could have made Kingpin very stock like he was in the comic book, mm-hmm. but they went a lot more psychological and I thought they made him a much better character. I'm interested to see what they do with Billy from here as we see the jigsaw persona evolve over the course of the season and i'm saying that with the full knowledge that i've seen the whole season and i'm not trying to give anything away here right okay Okay. well let me let me make one comment um the jigsaw in the comics so the character right now that we call billy russo right is They kind of separated the Rollins character into the uh, into the politician and the martial aspect, and in the comics, Russo is both parts, right? So he is both the crooked CIA guy and the guy who can fight on Frank's level. And Jigsaw is a much simpler, just big giant brute evil guy. Right. Well, if I remember in the comics, Billy Russo was a gangster because. And Frank puts his face through a stained glass window. I remember reading that. 
So yes. So yeah. And then I mean, Rollins is more or less what we like was his friend in the CIA and everything. Right. So we're getting a much different version of the comic version of Billy Russo in this and thereby Jigsaw. But I'm still going to be interested to see it. What because they're starting from a totally different point of entry here for the Netflix series with the introduction of Jigsaw, how this is going to play out and if they're going to do something similar to what they did with Kingpin uh, as far as making it more three-dimensional that way. I mean, you can only wish, right? I'm, I mean, I, Kingpin was a masterpiece of a I'm hoping. Bad guy. I'm, I, mean, I mean, that's I the best villain when, when they have both you know psychological and physical capabilities versus just the, the you know, scene-chewing, you know, mustache-twirling villain. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if they can get anywhere near... I mean, I, are they going to top Kingpin? I seriously doubt it. If they can nah, get ne- within never. 25% of it, I'll, I'll be happy. But we won't know until we get further in. Yeah. Well, part of the problem is, like, not only do you have a well-written villain, but, I mean, Vince D'Onofrio, that's a tough act to follow. Totally. So... Uh, speaking of which, now as we talk about, and I, I did this with Daredevil a little bit, and I, I, I kind of, because time has passed, I did actually buy Disney Plus. And in the hopes that if they did Punisher 3, and if they did Daredevil 4, that maybe it would be there. I don't know where where this goes and and I'm 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 kind of happier for it but I'm wondering where do we go from here and if it actually ends up in a Disney a Disney realm because I was watching and I highly recommend watching the trailers for Punisher um season 1 and season 2 and again whoever cut these trailers are on a level that I love and the music that they use is amazing. And especially season two, it's Allison chains wood and going back into the flood and back into, um, the, the hell that, that Punisher knows. Um, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going with this, but, um, it's just very exciting to see possibly what the future could hold. So I've actually done a lot of reading into that because I had hoped. Um, so there is literally zero chance that the series is as they existed will continue on Disney+. Plus. Okay. However, there is a strong rumor that Matt Murdock has been cast as Peter Parker's lawyer in the next Spider-Man movie. And it will be Char- and it's Charlie Cox? Yes. That wouldn't surprise me. So they can't have the TV shows as they existed, right? But they still own the characters. Well, and and don't take it as canon because I haven't done as much research as Sean probably has. But I think in order to get that um, through, they had to pay out the Netflix. uh, Yeah, the Netflix um, rights for the for the uh, Defenders characters in order to use that Matt Murdock character. So Frank mm-hmm. is kind of freed up a little bit, if that's true, to be used in some way. And who knows? Disney has so much money, they could just... I mean, yeah. they did it to Fox, they could just buy Netflix. 
I mean, I've seen a couple articles floating around where they're, they're trying to get Vincent and, and um, Charlie Cox in, or they might already have some of that maybe for a future movie series or something. Like, you know, whether that's true or not, I would, I would love it. You know, we'll have to wait and see. The only part of that rumor that really upsets me is that everything I've seen says Disney is absolutely against using Mike Coulter as, Nick, as Luke Cage in the future. Well, he's gone off the CBS series along with the Played, um, Bullseye. No, um, Misty. So, Misty. Yeah, Misty. Misty's doing the other uh, CBS show. So that, right. Well, Misty. Yeah. But, Misty but, but, but is on with Bullseye. On. But yeah, they. Um... But I mean, Mike Coulter is Luke Cage. I cannot. <laughs> no, I think if if they ever decided that they were going to try and continue on from what the Netflix series were, with if they brought Frank back for a season three and they brought back everybody else. I'm pretty sure the the fan reaction to changing it around would be pretty strong because, yeah, I mean, we all know that that Mike Holder is Luke Cage. We know that Kristen Ritter is Jessica Jones. I would say if anybody that uh, the guy that played Danny Rand, I honestly could could give or take. But Finn Jones. Yes, Finn Jones. Um, Yeah, he can go away. Yeah. But as it is, I think with what we've got now for for season two, we're going to have it, it. I'll be. Again, I'm going to be interested to see how this all plays out, because I haven't watched it again in a year. So uh, having Frank out of my head and, and out of my viewing repertoire, it's going it, to getting back into his world again has been been pretty fun so far. I'm excited for what I've seen thus far. And and quite honestly, I can't remember the episodes that I have seen, but this really fe- it felt like an augmentation of season 1, episode 1, but in a completely different environment and obviously different characters. Very exciting thus far. Yeah, he's not just the same cookie cutter Frank it was, you know, in the beginning of season 1, you know, he's he's growing you know, developing as a character. It's not just rehashing old stuff. Which is exciting for the Punisher. Exactly. I mean, he's probably the most vilified hero, I would think, in Marvel Comics. Yeah, I would go along with that contention. I think the only other, other one that I could think of would be maybe on a bad day, Wolvie, but for totally different reasons. Let's see, you got Blade, Mobius the Living Vampire. Moon Knight. Uh, Moon Knight. Uh, Ironically enough, all upcoming Marvel Disney properties. Yeah, I, will uh, pay, I will pay good well, money for Moon Mobius Knight. Mobius the Living right Vampire now. is a Sony exploitation of the Spider-Man franchise. Venom. Toxin. I could probably go on, but yeah, there are a lot of them. But point made. He's definitely one of the reviled antiheroes. Yeah, no one wants to say, I like the Punisher. Like, I mean, that's just like taboo. But, I mean, in all, in all, in all honesty, um, he really, they Barenthal is, is, is big to this, but the writing as well. But I think they try to make the Punisher a relatable character and not some just wanton um, act of violence against all of humanity. He, there's a reason why he does the things he does. I think for me, 
personally um he uh, he acts in a way that in some way uh is the way in which we would want to act in revenge in general I, i mean we know that it's not the right way but it's the way it's our it's our most base um reaction to things Well, and if you think about it, if you go back to the genesis of the Punisher, when did he come around? 1974. What was big in 1974? 70s were dominated by vigilante personas and the whole idea of taking the law into your own hands, being reactionary rather than just being the, quote, helpless victim and being making your own rules and being your own law. And part of the blowback to Frank Castle and the Punisher is that we've had this now for almost 50 years, which stymies me to say that. Yeah, we're yeah. getting old. But the that has always been the prototypical uber-masculine archetype. Yeah, yeah. And to see what Netflix and the writers behind this incarnation of... Um, of Punisher have tried to do is make him more three-dimensional. And again, to John Bernthal's credit, to me, he is the best variation of the Punisher that we've had. I know there's been, you go back to Dolph Lundgren and Thomas Jane and Ray Winston, but to me, John Bernthal hit every note just right. Yeah, I mean, it's a fine line to walk, and they're doing a pretty good job of humanizing Frank and Punisher. You know, if if Frank put, you know, if you were in that position, what, what's going through your head? What would you do? How would you feel? You know, versus just like, you know, the typical '80s and '70s, just walking, mow people down, walk off, make a witty quote, and off you go. At this point, I just want to mention my absolute favorite Punisher comic of all time. I think I shared it with you guys like a year ago. It has, no, no, no. This is much better. It's from the comic actually called The Punisher War Journal. Yes. And it has a picture of Frank with a giant assault rifle riding a jet ski. And the cover just says, you've just rented a jet ski to The Punisher. Kiss that baby goodbye. I remember The Punisher War Journal. And one of the biggest things that I saw that that just it was just like amazing to me that he had diamond tipped uh nails that he had put on to slash a guy's wrists and i thought and i think the ep- i think the the title of the comic was bolivia and i was like man you think of everything frank you think of absolutely every angle well yeah and it plays into the uh, again, the the machismo of seventies and eighties action, quasi espionage, vigilante crime, all of those things that we grew up knowing and and getting really attached to, thinking that anybody who is in that particular situation always has a way out, always has the right tools always has the right training and 
you never know what they're going to pull out of the bag, but whatever it is, it's going to be exactly what they need at that given moment in, to take down that particular situation. Uh, I think by the time we got to the early aughts, maybe late 90s, early aughts, and since we alluded to, to Preacher earlier, when Garth Ennis stepped in and took over as the lead writer on Punisher, I think he kind of scaled it back a little bit and made it more... started making Frank a bit more three-dimensional. We still got all the the patented Garth Ennis blood and gore and violence that has become his particular M.O., as a comic book writer and as a storyteller. But there was a bit more downtime and there was a bit more flexibility there where he wasn't so single-minded and it wasn't just, oh, every time the Punisher shows up in a comic, make sure you get to the last panel so you can get the body count. We There was a bit more method to the madness involved in that. And I, I again, I think with what we're seeing so far, we're going to see more of that in season two. And I'm I'm looking forward to it, guys. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm thinking we're going to be in for another wild ride with Frank Castle. Always down. Agreed. Yep, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, well, we are now at an hour. Hour 13, whatever it might be. But, gents, we're back, and we're covering Punisher, and... Granted, it it's old, but you know what? There were plenty of people that didn't watch it when it came out, and now here is your chance, and we're gonna go forward and recap those episodes and talk about them and talk about other shit. So that's all good. Yeah, in case you missed us, we're back, and we brought our pencils. That's right, <laughs> and a little bit of ammo. Or a lot of ammo. In Sean's case, a lot of ammo. Yeah, okay. 